Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to Acts chapter 6 this morning, Acts chapter 6. While you're turning there, I want to give you just a quick announcement. Um, About a year and a half ago, we made a decision to start a fourth service. You currently know we have have four services. We have 815, our 10, 1145, and then we have the 5 o'clock service, and we we at that time said we're going to start the 5 o'clock. It's a bit of an experiment, and let's see... uh, Let's see how this will go. And we announced last week in our 5 o'clock service that on November 19th, that'll be the last 5 o'clock service that we're going to do. We're going to choose to suspend that um, for the time being. We, we called it an experiment. It was a great experiment. It gave us the opportunity to learn a lot. And we really saw a lot of life change that happened um, during that time. But what we've seen over the course of the last few months is, is not only a declining attendance in that service, but we're also at a place where when we finalize our renovations here uh, late winter, early spring that are happening down in our kids' area. We're going to be in a place where we're going to need to uh, uh, staff about six different children's classrooms, as well as we're working on the possibility of having a a live service during this 10 o'clock service that will take place in Auditorium 2 as well with live worship. And so we're working on adding some different things. And sometimes you know that when you you need to open a new door, it, it comes time that you have to close another one. Does that make sense? And so that's the process that we're walking through here. So last week, we talked with our 5 o'clock service attenders about that and wanted to let them know we're going to continue to offer uh, the online service at 5 o'clock for those that have become used to that time, as well as some other alternatives that we're talking to folks about. But just wanted to let you know that that's in the works and uh, some things that will be happening. So stay tuned. We'll talk to you about some more of those things as we look forward to what God has ahead. There's moments... And if you're a student of history, you, you would know this. There's like certain moments in time where you just look and go, that was a turning point. Sometimes they call that like a hinge of history. That something turned in that moment, and when it did, things changed. Things were never the same again. And you might miss this when you read through the book of Acts, but when you get to Acts chapter 6, it's one of those hinge moments. In the life of the church, this chapter is a, is a turning point in the history of God's people in the New Testament. And we looked at this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. We took time to look at Acts chapter 6 on a Wednesday night on November 1st, two weeks ago. And we we looked at the first part of that chapter and how when problems came into the church, the church not only dealt with those problems, but then thrived through those problems. And today we're going to look at another story similar to that, that what looks like a negative thing, God is able to use to be a positive thing. Now, we won't really see that until we get to next week when we get into Acts chapter 8. But we watch and see how critical this story is. We're going to go through about a chapter and a half of Scripture today. So I'm going to start the sermon in this service, and then you have to stay through the next service so we can cover all of that. Um, just to, No, we're not going to do that, because there's so much here that we could cover. I just want to hone in kind of on one idea that's in this passage. And we've been talking about the idea of how do you handle life when you're under pressure? What do you do when there's stress? When there's struggle, when there's frustration, maybe we we put it right out there, what do you do when there's opposition in your life? How do you handle that? 
in those moments when you're under pressure. We're going to look at the story today of a character in the New Testament named Stephen. And Stephen is a model for how to respond when your life is under pressure. And if you're not familiar with this story, let me give you a little bit of a kind of a spoiler alert. At the end of this story, Stephen dies, which to us seems like a real negative thing. He becomes the first martyr of the church. He's murdered, and he's the first one of the believers to not just be persecuted or punished, but to literally lose their life for their faith and recognize that even in the midst of this, though Stephen dies, you know he lives, right? In fact, he lives so much that thousands of years later, who are we still talking about? (laughs) Stephen. So this is an important critical story. This story has meant much to the church over history and over the centuries since how God has used Stephen's life and Stephen's story to motivate the church in some of its darkest hours. So today, we're going to talk about this, how to handle the pressure of being done wrong. When you're mistreated, when life's not fair, when things come your way that you don't think are right, how how do you handle that pressure? Because that's what we'll see in Stephen's life. So let's jump into our story, Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. Let's just do a little biography of the star of our show here. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So that's quite an introduction to this guy. In fact, we've already heard about him earlier in this chapter. Now this verse says that he was full of God's grace and God's power, that God used him to do miraculous things. But if you rewind this a few verses, you'll learn even more about him. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. There was a, a real challenge that the church was facing And they they had to raise up some new leaders to be able to deal with that challenge. And there's a description of the kind of people they were looking for in verse 3 of Acts chapter 6. It it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be, look at this, full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Then when you get to verse 5, they start to name the ones that they've chosen. And look at this. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So you see what all they say about Stephen here? It says that he was full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of God's grace, filled with God's power. That's quite a resume, isn't it? I mean, this guy is kind of the shining star of the new leaders who are coming up in the church. And this is really important for you to know because he's a person of great character. And character matters. And my hope is that before this day's over, you're going to think about what's inside of you, not just what was inside of Stephen, not just what he was filled with, but what fills your heart, what's inside of you. And it matters for this reason, what is in you will come out of you. You know this, if you take a tube of toothpaste and you squeeze it, if you put it under pressure, what happens to that tube if the lid is off, right? What's inside of it will... It comes out of it. When life squeezes you, when life puts you under pressure, what is inside of you will come out of you. So my question for you is this, what's inside of you? What is it that that you are working towards? What kind of person do you want to be? That matters as we look at this today. So let's go back to the text. Acts chapter 6, verse 9. Here's why it matters. Look at the first two words. Opposition arose. You ever had one of those kind of days? It says that opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, 
Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. It's interesting that it says that opposition came his way. One study that I read said that there were probably at least 60 synagogues in Jerusalem at this time. They're referencing here, we believe, probably two or three of them that were from the synagogues of what's referred to here as the freedmen. Now, these were people who weren't originally from Jerusalem. They weren't originally Jews that were born there. They were Jews who were born in other parts of the world, Greek parts of the world, and had moved to Jerusalem and had set up synagogues for people that spoke their Greek language. Maybe we're dealing with two or three of the synagogues here, and most likely, this opposition that's coming from one of these synagogues might actually be the very synagogue that Stephen had attended before he became a Christian. So he may know these people. These actually may be his friends who are now coming after him. Sometimes we we think the Bible happens on this grand scale, and we forget that sometimes it happened in a small town. And these are people that he knows who are coming after him and challenging him, and this opposition comes towards him. And one thing that I want you to see here is this, that being wronged happens to the best of us. You know, sometimes we think that if I'm living for God, if I'm doing the right things, then everything's gonna end up okay, when the truth is trouble and trials and struggle come to all of us, even the best of us. Do you, do you see the way they describe Stephen so far? Stephen was the sharpest of all these leaders that have risen up in the church, and now opposition comes to him. And I say this because I don't want you to be caught off guard. Because sometimes when we have a struggle or a trial in our life, we can tend to think, well, well, maybe something's wrong. Maybe I'm not doing something right. And the reality is being wronged, facing opposition, happens to the best of us. As you read through chapter 7 of the book of Acts, Peter will begin to preach a sermon. Now, we're not going to take time to look at that whole thing today because we just don't have the time. But as you, as you go through his sermon, what you'll hear is at least five times he references how the people of God, the children of Israel, throughout their history were mistreated, were put into slavery, faced opposition, things weren't fair for them. And he lists this so that we can see that opposition and struggle and trial and being done wrong will come even to the best of us. Are you encouraged? Okay, back to the text. Acts chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Then they secretly persuaded some of the men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Listen to what they did there. It says that they secretly persuaded some men to say things and that they produced false witnesses in the midst of this. Does that sound fair to you? Does it? I mean, what they've done here, excuse me, what they've done here is dirty. It's not right. They're treating him wrong. And here's what I want you to see. The enemy plays dirty. When the devil comes against you, when he challenges you in, his, in your life, remember this. If you expect life to be fair, you're probably going to be disappointed, right? 
Here's why. Because the enemy of your soul, he plays dirty. I was talking to a friend this morning, and he said he hasn't been feeling very well, and he was kind of sick yesterday, so he was forced to stay on the couch and watch football all day long. <laughs> and uh, what's interesting is when you, when you watch these games, and I didn't watch hardly anything yesterday. I caught just a few seconds of a game, and what I watched was there was a call. The coach thought it was bad, and so the coach ran out on the field and threw his arms up in the air, right? Because what was he saying? This isn't fair. This is a bad call, and we live in a world that highlights those things, right? Because if it's a bad call, what do they do? You want to go back to the instant replay. You want to see, is this right? Is it wrong? Is this fair? If you've watched social media at all, and you've got friends that are watching a game, it doesn't take long if their team's losing for them to say there's something wrong with the refs, right? Isn't that how it works? It's got to be the ref's fault. Why? Because it's not fair. We want everything to be fair. Is life fair? And I can tell you this, the devil doesn't play fair. The enemy of your soul, he's dirty. And he doesn't care whether you think it's fair or not. Actually, what he would like to do is make you think that life's not fair and have you focus in on the fact of how unfair life has been to you because if he can get you there in a place where you're frustrated and dissatisfied and you stay there, you'll be miserable and you won't be able to be in a place where God can use you. So that's why he plays dirty. We have to come to terms with this in life. Opposition will come our way. It'll come to the best of us. And when it does, we can't expect life to be fair. So what do you do? Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, they produce false witnesses. They're telling things about Stephen that just aren't true. And then this happens. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. This does not make any sense to me. Because the leaders go, Stephen, these accusations have been made against you. Are they true? You know what I would do? I would say, no, they're not true. They're lies. This isn't right. And these guys are dirty creeps, right? Who else would say that? Like, that would be my response. I'd be like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. That's not true. Instead, they say to Stephen, Stephen, are these things true? And he says, you know what? Can I tell you a story? And he starts telling them this story. And for about 50 verses here, he recites for them the history of Israel. It was genius. It was genius for a couple of reasons. One, it was genius because he went right to the thing that they shared. You know what was important to them? Their story. You know what's important to you? your story, and when he began to take them to a common ground, when he talked to them about the thing that they shared, they were listening, they were paying attention, and then he begins to tell them the history of Israel. He tells them the story of how God worked in their lives, and he tells them about the times when they were mistreated, and yet God was faithful, when things weren't right, and yet God was there. He talks to them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and about Israel and how they're in captivity in Egypt and how Moses comes and rescues them. And yet through it all, how people make bad choices and they make bad decisions. And he takes them right up to the prophets and how the prophets were persecuted for what they did. And he spells out this whole story for them because he does not want them to miss this. God is writing a grand story. When you look at history, when you look at time, when you look at scripture, from the Garden of Eden to the cross at Calvary to the new heavens and the new earth that we read about in the book of Revelation, God is at work, and he knows what he's doing. 
And each step along the way, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem right, he is at work and he is piecing together a grand story. And before you think it's just in this book, let me remind you that it's also your life. That God is putting together in your life a grand story of his grace, a grand story of his work. And you might not see it right now. Right now, it might seem like things are wrong. Right now, it might seem like this is taking too much time. But Stephen wants them to see, and and the Holy Spirit wants you to see, that God is writing this grand story that he's piecing together. For some of you, the next step in that story, we just looked at a few minutes ago. Next Sunday, we're going to have our our water baptism as a part of of our day and the things that we do. And if you've not yet been baptized in water, if you've not yet made that public expression where you you make the statement, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I follow him, I'm thankful for what he's done in my life, then I'd encourage you, don't put it off. Don't talk yourself out of it. If if you've not yet been baptized in water, stop by the hub today and sign up or jump online and sign up there to be a part of the baptism because it is the next step in your obedience of what God has done in your life, what he's calling you to do because in your life and in all of history, God is piecing together this grand story. And so Stephen begins then in Acts chapter 7, and I'm going to let you, this is kind of your homework, I'll let you read this for yourself. He puts this story together, and then he brings it to this conclusion. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, watch the language he uses here. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. He has a way with words, doesn't he? He doesn't have any problem telling them what he thinks, and he wants to set the record straight. So he uses some language here. He starts out by calling them stiff-necked people. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Stephen didn't make it up. This is a biblical phrase. It goes back to the Old Testament. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. It says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. What's, what's that phrase mean? Have you ever noticed that if you're in a place of tension or frustration, or even in a place of arrogance or pride, you know how your posture kind of gets a little more stiff You get a little bit more straight. If I'm mad, I can kind of feel it in my neck. It kind of tenses up in that moment. And I get to this posture that's kind of harsh and it's stiff and it's it's in this place where there's not an openness, but it's closed up. And it's kind of almost this posture of pride or arrogance. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what we refer to here when it talks about being stiff-necked, when my body physically expresses the condition of my heart. And it's linked both in Stephen's statements and also what we saw in Deuteronomy that both being stiff-necked and having what Scripture refers to as an uncircumcised heart. Now, that's not a physical description. That's a spiritual description. It's talking about what spiritually is going on in our lives, that when your heart is closed off, when you are in a place where you are not open to what God wants to do or what others want to speak into your life, you have that uncircumcised, that closed-off heart And that's critical because remember what Proverbs chapter four says? It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. 
The state of your heart affects every other part of your being. And so when Stephen has to call them out for being in the wrong place spiritually, and he's just speaking truth to them. He's not being obnoxious. He's not being arrogant. He's not doing the wrong thing. He's just, he's just speaking truth. He says, look, you, you have stiff necks. You have an uncircumcised heart. And he says, you have uncircumcised ears. Again, that, that's not a, obviously a physical description. That's an explanation of the spiritual condition of where they find themselves, that their ears are closed off from being able to hear the truth. Again, that's a, a biblical expression. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10 To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them, and they find no pleasure in it. There are times when you can close off your ears that you fail to be able to hear the truth that others, or especially even God, might be speaking to you. One of our kids was a preschooler. They were trying to kind of check out new vocabulary, right? They were trying to try new words out and say things. And I can remember times when we would have to go and we would say, we need to talk to you about something that was wrong. You know those times when you have to say something to your kids and then they don't want to talk about it? Like when you say to them, hey, do you know what happened to that chocolate bar? And you can see the chocolate right here. And yet they're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. And one of our kids, we would go, and I remember very clearly walking in their room one time and kind of looking at them and say, hey, we need to talk about this particular thing. And they had this phrase that they would use for a while. They would say, I don't want to have this conversation. Like they were trying out this word. I don't want to have this conversation. And Rhonda and I still, sometimes she'll bring something up that she wants to talk about. And I just go, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to talk about this. There's these moments where you just go, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. And we can say it to other people, and we oftentimes say it to the Spirit of God. Like God's Spirit speaks to us. He he begins to show us that we're stiff-necked, that our hearts are hardened, that our ears are closed, and we have a tendency to go, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to pay any attention to this. And my prayer has been that today, your heart would be open to hear what God's Spirit wants to speak to you today. Man, for just a minute, would, would you take your hands down? Would you open up your heart? Would you maybe relax the posture of your soul for a moment to let the Holy Spirit speak to you? Because the issue was that the leaders, the religious leaders of that time, even though God was speaking to them, even though God himself had come in human form, they were so closed off that they could not hear what God was speaking. So watch what they do next. Acts chapter seven, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They had the opportunity to respond to the truth and the word of God, and instead, they not only closed themselves off, but they went nuts. It says that they gnashed their teeth. That's a biblical phrase for expressing rage. In that moment, they didn't see the truth. They just saw red. Do you know that expression? You're seeing red where you just get so angry in that moment. What was it? 
that had them so frustrated, so challenged that they would respond in that way. This is important for us to talk about because there will be moments of opposition and disappointment and frustration that will come our way and we have to choose how we will respond. Two things that I think motivated them in this moment were hate and jealousy. I don't know which one came first, but they had developed a hatred for these Christians who were different than them and they were jealous of the fame that they were getting. And that hatred and jealousy moved them on. Hate that is not dealt with is hate that destroys. When you have that hatred in your heart, when it builds up inside of you, if you don't deal with it, it'll start to destroy you. The same is true of jealousy. Jealousy that is not controlled is jealousy that consumes. And I know we were here a few weeks ago when we talked about the leaders, but we're back here again, and we see this again in their lives. And I think this is key, that when opposition or frustration or disappointment or conflict comes your way, if you let hatred or jealousy become the, the surface and the foundation of your life, that's going to fall apart. I hate to use this analogy because of how cold it is, but think of an avalanche for a minute, okay? An avalanche is when you have all this snow and the pressure of the snow builds up, but it doesn't have the support underneath to hold up the snow that's there. And so it doesn't take much for something to break what is on the surface, and then everything else goes sliding in a destructive way. In fact, think of this. I, I did a little research. It says that when a factor is introduced to the structure of this snow, like a person's step or a temperature change or wind speed, it can cause this avalanche to occur. And I thought about this. I've had people make the wrong step and an avalanche happened in my heart. Anybody else? I've had the temperature rise in a situation and everything begins to fall apart. There's been moments where the wind picks up in my life, where the disturbance and the frustration, and if I don't handle it right, if my foundation isn't right, then everything begins to slide out of control. It's never happened to you, but I can tell you it can happen. And in that situation, what do you do? You have to guard against this. Stephen, who's the one being falsely accused, who's the one who finds himself in the middle of this, does not let the avalanche affect him. Instead, he does this. It says he looks up to heaven, and when he does, he literally sees Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say that, that you're going to look up at some point and phys I can't guarantee you you'll physically see Jesus. I just know this, that when things start looking bad, you should start looking up. And when things are tough, when the tension's there, when the frustration's there, instead of looking inside or focusing on who's doing you wrong, the best thing you can do when things start looking bad is to start looking up. And instead of seeing earthly rage, you can see God's glory. Instead of seeing red, you can see Jesus. And I know that that's easier said than done, but it can make all the difference. And I'm not saying that you don't stand for what's right or you don't fight for justice. I'm just saying that when things are wrong, don't let it infect your heart. Don't, don't let it become toxic inside of you. Here's why. Go back to our text, Acts chapter 7, verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Look at their response. The Holy Spirit is literally speaking to them through Stephen. 
And when conviction comes, we, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. When conviction comes, we have one of two responses. Conviction will either soften your heart or it'll harden your heart. It'll either make you open to the Spirit of God or it'll close you off to the Spirit of God. And you choose which one it will be. But be careful that your neck doesn't get stiff, that your heart doesn't get hard, that you don't close your eyes and ears to what God wants to speak to you because the results of that can be a very destructive slide. It can cause you to do things that don't make sense and are completely irrational because blinded eyes can't see the truth and covered ears will miss God's voice. And so if God is trying to show truth to you, if he's trying to speak to you, open your heart to that. Blinded eyes can't see truth and covered ears aren't gonna hear God's voice. I read a story this week about a guy who was, who was out jogging. He's jogging down one side of the street and he could look ahead and he could see that there was an individual who was coming and she was blind and she had a, a service dog, it's kind of a seeing eye dog, who was helping her navigate this. And you could tell that they were familiar, that, that they knew this neighborhood in this city. And so he's running down one side. And as the, the lady and her service dog is going down the sidewalk, there's a car that has pulled into a driveway and is now blocking the sidewalk. Well, the lady, of course, can't see this, but the dog can. So as they're walking, they're getting closer and, and, and her service dog, she took her shoulder and she like nudged the lady so the lady would go out around the car. But the lady's walked this before. She can sense that it's not the right place to turn. So she ignores the dog and just pushes the dog back over with her knee and stays on the sidewalk. They're getting closer now to the car. And the dog knows what they need to do. And so the dog, again, she takes her shoulder and she gently pushes her owner off to the side. And the owner, again, ignores it and pushes the dog back the other way and stays back on the sidewalk. At this point, the dude that's jogging sees this, knows this lady's heading right for the car, takes a deep breath, and he's about to tell her, hey, 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 watch out. And again, the dog gently just kind of takes the lady, nudges her leg over with the dog's shoulder. And the lady, this time, is frustrated. She kicks her dog, goes back on the sidewalk, takes one more step, and slams right into that car. She walked right into the very thing that this dog was trying to lead her away from, when she did, the guy said she fell to her knees, grabbed her dog, hugged that dog, and broke out into tears. Because this dog was trying to give her truth all along. She was ignoring it, and she ran right into the thing that she was trying to avoid. There are times when truth comes our way, when people want to speak words of life to us, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And because it either inconveniences us or it's something that we think we know better about, we try to keep going our way. We may even try to kick it out of the way. And if we're not careful, our blind eyes and our covered ears are going to run us right into the very thing that will destroy us and we're trying to avoid. Does that make sense? We have to be open to what the Spirit of God speaks to us in times of opposition and trial, in times when we're under pressure more than any other time in our lives. One interesting side note about this passage. Did you see where it said there that while they were stoning Stephen, there was a young man named Saul who stood there and watched their coats? You know why he watched their coats? Because they took Stephen and they would push him outside the city off a cliff or an edge that was at least twice his height. And then from there, they would drop stones. We're not talking about little landscape rocks. We're talking more like you know, concrete blocks that they would drop on him and throw on him until he was dead. And they were hot. They were moving. 
And so when they got there, so they would have the freedom to be able to haul these things down on him, they took their coats off, set them to the side, and a young man named Saul watched them. Make a little note because we'll be back to Saul in chapter nine. He becomes the the key character of the rest of this book. So at this point, best thing for you to do is just go, hello, Saul, nice to meet you. We'll come back to him later. This is critical for us to watch and see what happens here to Stephen in this story. Go back to verse 59, Acts chapter seven, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Look, I I don't know who might be in this place, but for some of you, this idea of opposition, frustration, disappointment, challenge, you might be in the middle of it right now, and you're going, Lord, I don't know what to do here. These verses give us a model of what Stephen did and how we can learn from that. Two things that I want you to see is this. If, if you're in a moment of this kind of opposition, first thing, place your life in God's hands. If you're seeing yourself in a place of frustration and opposition, you place your life in God's hands. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. God, I give my life to you. God, I give my plans to you. God, I give myself to you. There's something significant about that, about saying, God, I give myself fully to you. It might not always make sense. It might not always be easy. But when you do that, you can trust that even if things don't go the way you want them to, do you think Stephen wanted to die that day? I mean, he, he probably maybe could have toned his words back a little bit, but he had to speak truth. I don't think he woke up that day and said, I hope this is my last one. But he knew in the midst of it that he could say, God, no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad, I release my life to you. I trust you. And a lot of us on Sundays, when we sit in these chairs, we say that. You can have it all, Lord, right? God, everything is yours. And then we get out of here. And it's not so easy. The author Henry Nouwen has written this. He says, I love Jesus, but want to hold on to my own friends, even when they do not lead me closer to Jesus. I love Jesus, but want to hold on in my own independence, even when it brings me no real freedom. I love Jesus, but do not want to lose the respect of my professional colleagues, even though their respect does not make me grow spiritually. I love Jesus, but do not want to give up my writing, travel, and speaking plans, even when they are often more to my glory than God's. You could probably take that statement and say, I love Jesus, but God, I I love you, but I want to hold on to this thing or this relationship or this sin. When the Spirit's speaking to you and saying, look, if if you're going to thrive, If you're gonna spiritually move forward, there's gotta come a point where you say, God, I give my everything to you. In these moments of opposition, place yourself in God's hands. And here's the second part. This one one really gets me. Not only did Stephen place his life in God's hands, but we have to place others' lives in God's hands. Instead of us holding on to that hurt and holding on to that pain and trying to get revenge, we place others' lives in God's hands. It's interesting because what does Stephen pray at the end? He says, Lord, do not hold this against them. I'm afraid that in that moment, you know what I would pray? 
Sick them, God, right? That's what I think would be in my heart, not Stephen's. I think because he had learned something different. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus had a whole different approach. He said, look, you, you pray for those who are out to get you. And he didn't just say it. He did it. Remember Luke chapter 23, verse 34? Jesus is on the cross, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To me, it's, it's almost unimaginable that in a moment of such opposition and conflict, you would pray for those who it appears are out to get you. Why would Stephen do that? Why would Jesus do that? Ultimately, I think it's because they knew the value of forgiveness. That if you hold on to those things, it becomes toxic in you. And it does not give God the opportunity to work in your life. Let me tell you just two things about forgiveness that I think are key to see here. One is this. The devil works through unforgiveness. Do you remember when I said that the enemy does not play fair? Well, one of his greatest tools is to work through unforgiveness. Because if he can get you to hold on to bitterness, if he can get you to hold on to this frustration and this, this, this thought of if I could just get back at them, he is actually at work in you. Look at what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that, why is this forgiveness important? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Did you see this? Part of Satan's plan is to get you to not forgive. And if he can get you to not forgive, then you are actually on his team. You're actually working for him. But if you'll let God's forgiveness work through you, watch this. The devil works through unforgiveness, but God works through forgiveness. Even if it seems like it's wasted or desperate, when you offer forgiveness, not only does it take the, the toxicity out of your soul, but it allows God to work through you. Look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Sounds like good friends, right? Paul, you, you need to get some new friends. May it not be held against them. He forgave them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. See what he said here? He said, I forgave them and then God worked through me. The devil works through unforgiveness. Anybody want to be on his team? But God works through forgiveness. I got thinking, how do I... How do I illustrate this? How do, how do I make sense of this? And I honestly just didn't come up with anything, didn't feel like anything, so I just kind of kept pushing through. And then this morning, I was on my way into church, just to be very transparent with you. I'm on my way into church, and I'm driving, and I started thinking about two situations where, where people either, in this last week, either said or did something to me that I felt was either foolish or inappropriate, or just to be quite honest, that it was just wrong back towards me. And I'm sitting and I'm driving, right? And I'm thinking, what in the world were they thinking? Why did they say that? How dumb are they that they would do that? 
And you know what happened is as I was driving, I felt my posture get like this. My neck felt funny. My neck felt kind of, I don't know, it's a good word. Stiff. Yeah, 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 that's a word. My neck felt kind of stiff. I felt like the oxygen choking out of my soul because I was getting angry. I was getting mad. I was having feeling towards these people that weren't healthy and that weren't right. And I started thinking, I don't care about them. I don't want to listen to them. They're just wrong. And I'm always right, right? You know those things that come through my mind? And that's when God said, Chad, I hope you go back and listen to this sermon. (laughs) Because there's these moments that if we're not careful, even great, good-looking people like us who come to church on Sundays... We'll find ourselves in a place where our necks are stiff and where our hearts are closed. And when even when the Spirit of God speaks to us, we say, I don't want to have this conversation. And today, God wants some of you to have that conversation. He wants you to hear what the Spirit's speaking to your heart. And you might say, but I'm tired and I'm frustrated. And I just don't want to do this anymore. Do you know the opposition I'm facing? Do you know the people I work with, live with, and related to? That wasn't supposed to be funny. Do you know what's coming my way? I'm tired of this. I'm not so sure I can push through this anymore. Interesting side note. Stephen's name has this meaning. It actually means in the Greek. It comes from the root word that, that means crown or wreath implied in that in Greek culture is the idea that he's the victor because if you were in an athletic competition in Greece in the first century and you won what they would put on you was a crown they put on you a wreath it was woven from greenery and they would place that on you and you know what they called that they called that a Stephanos was the Greek word from the name Stephen so his very name means victor it means one who perseveres to win in the end. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 says this, anyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown. They do it to get a Stephanos that will not last, but we do it to get a Stephanos, to get a crown that will last forever. Friends, even if you're in the midst of opposition today, Don't give up. Trust God. God may be just trying to breathe a little oxygen into your soul today and saying, hang on in the midst of this. I know you're under pressure, but trust me. I know this might not be going the way you wanted it to, but hold on to me because I'm with you even in the midst of this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And I just want to pray a very general prayer. But as I pray this, whether you're here in this room or you're in auditorium too or you're watching on a screen somewhere, for some of you, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. And so God, we allow your word to speak to our hearts today. For some of us right now, God, we, we need to change our posture. Lord, we're spiritually, we would open ourselves up to you. God, where we wouldn't guard our hearts from what your spirit would speak. And that we wouldn't cover our eyes or ears so that we wouldn't have that conversation. But God, that we would be open. Lord, because for some of us, you're speaking about doing the right thing and persevering in the midst of this time. 
For others of us, Lord, you're literally speaking to us about surrendering our lives to you, fully acknowledging you, not just as our savior, as our forgiver, but also as our Lord, the leader of our lives. And for others of us, God, there's issues of unforgiveness that are in our hearts that in this moment, we need to release that situation. We need to release that person to you so that what's inside of us would allow us to thrive even under pressure in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that your word and your spirit works in our hearts. God, I pray that because of what you spoke to us today, our lives would be changed. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name.